0: Plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: I'm Mahani Jahangiri, and welcome to Conversations with My Dog. Today's guest is Lydia Ward, survivor and trustee at safeline.org.uk, and psychologist specializing in confidence, resilience, and communication now. It is an honor to speak with Lydia today to raise awareness of support for victims slash survivors of sexual abuse. Thank you, Lydia, for coming on the show, show today.
2: How are you? Marnie, it's my absolute pleasure. Hi. Oh my God, this is a difficult
1: introduction. This is the first time, I guess, uh, on the show that we are um, really looking at a A very profound subject, especially now. I mean, uh, the whole month, I think, is all about um, sexual abuse awareness and, you know, uh, the hashtag that you've mentioned as well.
2: Yeah. Hashtag it still matters.
1: It still matters. And I, I mean, there's everything in there, isn't there? Because that is exactly what happens with survivors, with victims that they sometimes don't even know they've been sexually abused. It comes so much later down the line, doesn't it? I mean, maybe 20, 25 years further down the line in life, suddenly that awareness may come up. And it's, yeah. for some people, maybe they think it's too late to report. So maybe you want to explain a little bit about this.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Marnie. It, it's such, I, I really agree with you. And I really hear where you're coming from to say, gosh, this is such a difficult subject to get started with. It's still so socially awkward you know there's still such a taboo around um sexual abuse uh, rape sexual violence um and it makes people feel so uneasy because it's 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 human on human and that's, I think, part of what makes it so awkward. The hashtag, it still matters, is so profound and so important. There are incredible people who experience some kind of sexual violence and are able to speak up at the time and to move forward with their lives, to move forwards with the situation and, and for people to be held to account. But actually... The vast majority of cases are people where it has happened in their childhood and they weren't old enough to understand what was happening to them at that time. Um, People who don't want to admit perhaps they were slightly older and they want to reframe the situation. It wasn't quite that. It was something slightly different Mm. Um, because nobody wants to have to admit, gosh, that really happened to me, so I think that's why the the hashtag it still matters is so important because it's it doesn't matter when this happened to you. It doesn't matter if it unfortunately happened to you today, and there may be someone listening who has experienced that. It doesn't matter if it happened last year or ten years ago or if it happened seventy years ago. Um, it still matters. It's it's a violation of your body, mm. of your boundaries, of your rights. Yes. And that's why it still matters.
1: Lydia, I just wanted to say with sexual abuse, it ah, uh, sexual abuse, can you define it? Can it include emotional and mental? What does it really include? You talk about boundaries. It's
2: it's it's what is a boundary? Can you define that for us, please? Sexual abuse if we were to look at it as a clear definition, would be about a sexual act being um, taken out or or uh, pushed onto another person who was not a willing participant. However, when we talk about the abuse side of it, um, there is always a mental, psychological, emotional abuse aspect to it because people are forced into situations that they are not choosing to be in so so sexual abuse is specific in the fact that there is a sexualized act now that does not define it as the act of sexual intercourse it is a sexualized act where one person is behaving in a sexualized way towards another and the recipient is not a willing participant um, but as I say, with that, there then of course comes trauma, emotional abuse that perhaps, or mental abuse that has led into that situation happening in the first place, and there is always mental and emotional abuse afterwards in the fact that the person, the the victim and survivor, has then is then left with all the trauma to deal with, with all the trauma. To so deal it's with. a really really complex area. Uh, And it's interesting that sexual violence is is a phrasing that is being used more and more now. My only wariness around that, and the reason I feel that sexual violence and sexual abuse should both be used, is that it it may not feel to many people to be a violent act. They may have been um, coerced into understanding it as a form of love. And only in retrospect do they understand that that is not love at all. And to me, that is where that is abuse as opposed to violence. And I think it's important that we understand that it's about the sexualized act. And if you feel yours was of violence, or if you feel it was of of abuse, that is for you to determine that. But do not feel that because it wasn't violent, it wasn't abusive. Absolutely. And a child, say a
1: child of three, four, five, six, how would they even understand sexuality? If it happened to them, you know, how would they alliterate? How would they even describe it in their words? Because they haven't, they may have a sexuality at that time, but they don't understand it. They they, they don't they they think it's a game or a thing, isn't it? Um, you were mentioning the secrets. You know, we're going to a secret place, and so uh, how does that? How can a child comprehend that? It must take years and years and years and years to even comprehend that this might have been sexual.
2: Yeah, I think it does. I mean that was yeah, my my experience as you referred to there was so between the ages of 3 and 7 I was I was sexually abused um by a very very close family friend. Um I, I didn't understand it in any way to be sexualized at that time. Um it's only as an adult um or as a teenager um and obviously your sexual awareness awakens and then you begin to understand oh hang on a minute, right? That puts that experience into context. What I do know is at the time I didn't I knew that I didn't like it. I knew that it didn't feel right. I didn't feel comfortable. Um, I, I think the difference that I see now in in the way that primary schools and education now approaches this is children are taught so much about having body boundaries and about safe touch and kind touch and inappropriate touch and and about how you can say no to anybody and your body is yours and you set your own body boundaries and people cannot come inside that, um, that boundary that you set unless you say it's okay for them to do so and even then, there are certain different types of touch which are okay and which are not okay. And I think that is incredibly empowering and wonderful. And I, I appreciate that there are perhaps some um, parents that that feel that they are their children are getting educated in something they don't need to know about. But but having been a child where that wasn't part of my education, um, and therefore I didn't really understand body boundaries, and nobody had talked to me about safe touch and those sorts of things. I knew instinctively that it wasn't okay and that I didn't like it. But I was told I couldn't tell or I would get into trouble. And that is so often the case. I was told that it was a secret and we are taught that we are not allowed to share secrets. Um, So, I wanted to be good and that was the power that was held over me at that time was in order for me to be seen as a good girl and to not upset the family. Then I had to put up and shut up because this is what this was. And that was the the premise of, of that particular relationship. Um, so it it's it's really difficult and you
1: were rewarded at the end with going to a cake shop or something like that what what is sweets given and because that's pretty much the pattern isn't it it must be something with sweets with some extra chocolates or something it's it's so typical to that kind of reward um in, in childhood i think um and the extra grooming I guess that comes along with it yes
2: I think you know we often often reward good behavior and treats are food related aren't they so it was an extension of that you know and, and and I I was and still am a very foodie person um so you know it was it was it was you know that was great to me it was like right I'm going to a cake shop that's lovely I don't like what happened beforehand but at least I know I'm going to a cake shop
1: when did it? When did it happen for you? When did you realize this wasn't right? I mean, it, was it like a flashback? Was it? Um, I, I don't want to go into details, obviously, but how did the big wake-up call come? Uh, Where you said this is this, no?
2: Did the brain suddenly just wake up? Or um, yeah, it's an interesting one. So, so as I said, the, the the first time that I was abused was sort of between the ages of three and seven. Um, the reason it stopped with that particular individual was that at the age of seven. Um, When we used to go and and visit the house, um, my parents would leave me um, with him and they would go off shopping. And I just turned around one day and said, I don't want to stay here. I want to go shopping with you. Um, And I, I still remember my mum crouching down in the hallway and saying, well, why? Why don't you want to stay here? I mean, you're very welcome to come shopping with us, but why don't you want to stay here? And I wouldn't say. I was just like, no, no, I'm going shopping. Now, I remember feeling incredibly anxious and nervous at saying that, because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I remember being really focused on my mum's face and not daring to look away from it at all, because I didn't want to catch anybody's eye. Um, but but so that, that was the end of it, really, which was I was never left alone with him again, um, just because that's what I asked, you know, to have happen. Um, but nobody knew why. Um, I was then um, abused again when I was about twelve years old um, by another close family friend, and um, and and again I, I you know massively suppressed that. Um, remembering at the time that you know I didn't want to tell anyone, I didn't want to have to you know again sort of ruin the family dynamic and all of those sorts of things. So so my brain sort of kept all of that information away from me then. Um, for a few more years until I was about sort of 15, 16. Um, and I was in um, the car of my boyfriend at the time. And uh, I, I just had a huge flashback. And just remember thinking, Oh, God, that's a horrible, what a horrible, horrible thing to think. And God, my, you know, what's wrong with my imagination and my brain and, and the flashback just kept coming back. And the memories just kept coming back. And that's when I realized, God, actually, that that really happened. That's not just you know a weird random thought like those are actual memories and that happened to me and um yeah so so for me it, it was very much a a flashback situation at a time when i was becoming more sexualized myself anyway yeah, and
1: the flashback went all the way back to the age of three did the brain go all the way back to that age yes that's very interesting because people
2: yes it did yeah often
1: they say i i know some people i've asked i said do you remember this year and they go i haven't got any memories from the past like people don't Things and some people remember a lot of things from the past, and I find that fascinating that uh, you can remember something as early as uh, a year or even before that. I think. Um, But uh, did you then, from then, when you then had the flashback, how was your mental health? Did you deteriorate from then? Did you go into depression or abuse? Or, you know, if you can talk about it, you know, was there, did you act out on these uh, memories?
2: um yeah I, I, yeah there was I guess there were a few different um paths that, that uh, I took really um so I think I think the flashback also happened around the time that the first uh abuser um was was very ill and actually died shortly um or sort of around that time shortly afterwards um so I'm sure that was a trigger for it as well was was the bit of my brain sort of going oh if He's not around, then maybe you can start to remember this a little bit. Um, but it no, it, it had an enormous impact on my mental health. So I was then sort of going into doing going into college to do my A levels, and the two years of me being at college doing my A levels were just horrendous. I mean, the depression was absolutely awful. The second year of my A levels, I could barely make it into college most days, I, I could just about go in to collect some work and then bring it home again. Um, I pretty much, you know, stopped eating. Um, you know, was trying to survive on about 300 calories a day for a few years. Um, you know, just trying to, I guess, gain some kind of control in my life, or to make myself disappear a little bit more. Um, all sorts of things like that, and and the depression really continued. I mean, all the way, you know, sort of in into my into my early 30s. Um, and uh, and just sort of scarred the map of my life, really, going all the way through my 20s, um, was just trying to appear normal and, I guess, what I would call a functioning depressive. Um, you know, trying to appear normal, trying to hold down a professional career, but actually with crippling depression, not a clue who I really was. I was just doing life by numbers exactly because
1: depression doesn't have to be just lying in bed it could be overactive depression it could be overworking it could be especially work uh, workaholism you know uh, you know workaholics have an active depression is that correct am i right there to say that you can be completely yes. active but yes, completely that's... depressed so it's it's
2: often misunderstood It is very misunderstood. And and we have to remember that actually, behind depression is always a level of anxiety. I think that, that a lot of people think, well, you either get depression, or you're either tend more towards anxiety. But actually, they are both forms of anxiety, which is I have a huge amount of worry and tension and stress in my body, it either goes down the depression route, which is, I find it hard to function. Or it can go down the anxiety route, which is I I can find it hard to function, but in a very different way. Um, or I overfunction in the world. Um, uh, I think it's 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 so complex. But there's there is no mistaking that any kind of sexual violence, sexual abuse, will leave its mental and emotional scars on people. And that's the hard thing about it is the 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 wound. Um, you didn't ask for the wound, but the responsibility of healing it is yours. And and that's a very, very difficult thing to come to terms Absolutely. with. Absolutely.
1: But what's, what's more difficult, I even think, plus, not, not more difficult, but as difficult is, how do you tell the family years later? I mean, did you ever, did your family notice you were too thin, depressed? Did they Did they have any cause of concerns? Were the teachers involved? I mean, was there ever a face to face with your family eventually about this? I mean, maybe this is too personal if you don't want to mention your family, but that must be one of the hardest things. Will they believe you?
2: Yeah. I mean, will will you be believed is, is probably the biggest reason that people don't come forward. Alongside that, the fear is uh, I did something to deserve this. I encouraged it in some way. It's, I'm in some way to blame. Uh, I did tell my family, but I thought for a very long time that I never, ever would. Um, there was no way I ever really wanted to have to tell my parents um, because I didn't I didn't want them to have to know. I didn't want them to have to deal with any feelings of guilt that maybe they had missed something. Um, I, I have always believed it was never their fault. Um, I still believe that to this day, there was nothing that they could have done that would have prevented this because the people in question, nobody would have ever expected it of them at all. Um So I did tell my parents eventually, um, when I was um, in my very early 30s, um, and I was working abroad a lot at the time, and um, wasn't in a very healthy relationship either. um, And needed some time off. And that meant that I would be in the UK for sort of full weeks that the doctor signed me off for. And so I needed to explain to my parents why I wasn't going to be abroad for four weeks and why I also wasn't going to be going into the office in the UK for four weeks. I mean, not that I lived with them, but um, just the fact that I would be in this country for that long was sort of not part of the plan. Um, And so I did explain to them and I said, you know, actually I've been going to see a counsellor. I have really, really bad depression and this is why. Um, And I first told my mum on her own, Um, And then we together went and told my dad. And, and it was it was the worst and the best day for me, really. Um, Because I remember leaving my house that morning thinking, I have no idea how this is going to go. They might not believe me, they might be upset with me about it. You know, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. And I was incredibly fortunate. And it is sadly not everybody's experience. But my parents believed me straight away, uh, and were you know very supportive, um, but that isn't everybody's experience um, and and I think that must make it you know just so brutally hard. Um, you know I was fortunate my my friends have also all been very supportive and and you know i've I've always been believed by people, um, and I think to be honest, it's probably joined up a lot of dots for people that have known me for many, many years, um, to kind of go, Oh, okay. Oh, that makes a little bit more sense about why you were the way that you were. Um, but as, as a person, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly difficult conversation to have, um, because it's not, it's not a pressure or a guilt that you want to put on to somebody else
1: and a guilt maybe just to talk to your friends you feel like you're putting pressure and guilt on them if you talk about it like you don't want to give them that burden in a way i guess uh, that's why you don't talk about it because you're scared you know
2: yeah i think for a lot of people it's like well goodness me what do i say you know if if somebody is somebody discloses to me that 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 some sort of you know sexual abuse sexual violence or rape has happened to them what do i say how do i make them feel better Um, and it is incredibly difficult you know what i've always said is um, just listen that's all you need to do is listen to that person understand that the reason that they are telling you this is that they trust you and all they need in that moment is to be heard And they may need to be held. They may not be. (laughs) That's for you to ask and say, what do you need from me right now? You don't have to tell them it will be okay. You don't have to, you know, try and make it right for them again. Um, You can't. That is something that they're going to have to figure out. um, Hopefully, you know, with the support of trained individuals, which I had. Um, But just to listen and be there for them just as a silent companion to say, you know, how can I help you? What do you need from me right now?
1: And to report things. If you were, say, 25 years down the line, you want to report the person who abused you. uh, How does that um, manifest? I mean, do I I wonder whether the reporting and going to trial and taking that person to jail, you know, is that not a lot more? exhausting than um winning do some people feel that they've won taking it all the way do you know what I mean or is there another way of
2: healing I, I think yeah I think everybody everybody heals slightly differently from this my personal situation was that by the time I truly remembered everything that had happened to me um both people had died um, so, so reporting it from that perspective wasn't wasn't really a, a, an option for me um, because obviously there could be no criminal um, proceedings. Um, for some people, it is needing to be heard and believed in a broader setting. And the other side of that, of course, is wanting to make sure that that nobody else can become a victim or a survivor of of this particular perpetrator either. Um, And that's why some people go forward. Um, If you do choose to go forward um, and take this to the police, which can obviously feel like a a huge step as well, because, again, every time you tell somebody, you're risking not being believed. Um, And I think that can be a lot of what puts people off um but there are um trained counselors who are called independent sexual violence advisors or isvas which i appreciate is a huge technical term but they are specially trained counselors in sexual violence who also understand the police and court proceedings that's not to say that they are legal counsel they are trained counseling therapists but they are there to help and support you and be alongside you as you go through that process from an emotional support capacity. And they are the most incredible people and invaluable. Um, we have them at SafeLine um, and they are just wonderful people um, who get the most difficult, complex um. Court cases and support the individuals who feel that it is right for them to take this all the way through the legal process. Absolutely. And, and and can you tell me a little
1: bit about Safeline, org.uk? Is it, is, it, is it a new um, um, charity?
2: Yes. Uh, no, so Safeline, um, so I, uh, I am an ex-client from Safeline and I am also uh, a trustee on the board at Safeline now. I've been with them for, I think it's about eight years, but it could be nine, but I'm fairly sure it's eight. It's one of those things where... It's been so long. I'm like crumbs. I'm I'm the old. I'm the longest-serving member on the board at the moment, which is a little bit of a bonkers thing. Um, makes me feel a lot older than I am. <laughs> um, but uh, SafeLine. So we are a charity based in Warwick. We have been around for 25 years now. Um, well, just over 25 years, and um, we specialize in having counsellors available to victims and survivors of sexual abuse and sexual violence. So um, we were initially just a Warwick-based charity um, set up by female survivors of sexual abuse for other female survivors of sexual abuse. And um, we have, over the 25 years, become a much larger charity. I'm really, really um, proud to be a part of it. Um, I first came across Safeline because I needed support myself. I had been to see other um, counselors and psychologists, all wonderful, lovely people, um, just to try and help me with my depression and things like that. And I had mentioned to all of them you know, that I had been sexually abused as a child and talked through that side of things. But we would never really gone into much detail. I just I never felt like I was they quite understood the impact that that experience had had. Um, And so I remember Googling one day, you know, survivors of sexual abuse and Safeline popped up as a charity that happened to be not far from where I live. And I contacted them and they were able to see me, I think, a couple of days later for an assessment. And I remember walking into the building and sort of saying, oh, yes, I'm here for an assessment. I think I just, you know, I wondered about, you know, maybe a little bit of group work, but I'm fine on the one-to-one stuff. And I remember um, Betty, my counsellor, doing the assessment with me. and She was like, yeah, I I think you're probably going to need one-to-one and group work. Um, She could obviously see that I was not as far along in my journey as I thought. Um, But uh, yes, she was wonderful. Um, And so I did. I had years of one-to-one counselling and group counselling with Safeline, um, which was amazing and made all the difference to me to really have counsellors who understood the impact that... um, that sexual abuse and sexual violence has on a person, um, the scars, the emotional, mental, even physical scars that it leaves on people. Um, And so when I was sort of through my therapy and, and had sort of gone out on my own for a little bit, I contacted back the charity saying, look, I really want to do something to support you. I don't know whether that's you want to use me to you know, um, as a ambassador or spokesperson or whatever, but I'd love to do something. And that's when they invited me onto the board. Um, so we we are still work-based. Um, we support women. Um, but we also have the only national male helpline as well, um, which is massively supported and funded um, by the Ministry of Justice, which we're really, really proud of. Um, because it's really important. You know, this doesn't happen just to women. It does happen to men as well. Um, and women and men process it very differently. And they want to talk about it using a different media. They want to talk about it in a different way. And we found that actually a phone line for male survivors is much, much more successful. And we found that for female survivors, actually, they tend to want more one-to-one face-to-face therapy um that's not to say that that's what suits everyone and and uh we also have a female phone line as well and we can do emails and and web chat as well um but yes we we have the the national male helpline which we're incredibly proud of as well
1: and the statistics are one one in four women uh, may have been sexually abused or are sexually abused uh, and one in five or one in six males have been sexually abused which is uh, incredible it's not far off yes at all
2: and and we have yeah we have to remember that those are the reported numbers as well so when we think of the sheer amount of people that don't ever report we have to suspect that actually unfortunately The numbers are higher than that. Higher than that. And how do you I just wanted to say this
1: one important question. Um, you said you realized you had a choice whether you wanted to be a survivor. Um in this, you have a choice. But I'm just wondering for somebody who is in the midst of depression, how can they find that choice in them? How can they even find uh, that force in them? To say I can survive, you know, with depression. I mean, I'm sure Safeline supports in every way to, to, to come to that point. Is that correct? To, when you're in the midst of depression, I, I cannot someone is, it must be completely catatonic, not wanting to breathe, not wanting to move, not wanting to eat, not wanting to do anything anymore. And then you say, Oh yeah, but you can survive. You know, it's 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 that, this is a difficult transition to make that choice, right?
2: It is a hugely difficult transition. And and I guess, you know, it. I didn't make that choice from a place of feeling catatonic. You know, I, I made that choice. As I said before, you know, I, I was always a bit more of a sort of functioning depressive, like I could just about get through a work day as long as I came home and could hide and do nothing. You know, so I wasn't necessarily functioning in a normal way, I wasn't able to massively socialize, I wasn't able to necessarily handle things like household bills and stuff like that very well, you know, things might sort of slip through my fingers, and then I would sort of try and grab them back again. Um, But, but for me, it, I guess it, it came from a place of the longer that this has a hold over me, then the longer it feels like i'm still being abused right and that it was like i was giving it more air than it deserved and that i think was was when i sort of began to say actually i don't i didn't ask for this to happen to me i didn't do anything to make it happen to me in no way was it ever my fault so why does it still get to be a massive part of my life and who I am every day. And so it wasn't from a place of necessarily anger, um, but it was from a place of power. And can you remember where that
1: power? Where where did it? Because as a yoga teacher, it's interesting. We we call. um, Can you remember where the power was in your body? Was it all over? You know, was it within? Could could you could you describe it for me? That power somehow. Did it have a have a physical
2: sensation? Um, Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think the power in me probably comes more from around my heart. I think I probably have a brain that analyzes, which is understandable given what I've been through. But I have a very, very strong intuition as well. For me, it's always felt more like it comes from around my heart, um, which is actually there is something else that needs to burst out here. I think I'm analytical because I had to be, but innately, I'm probably more intuitive. Um, And I think it was that side of me that was coming up. And that's where the power came from, which is I am actually so much stronger than they were. You know, they, they were weak because they they preyed on a child. So that says more about them than it does about me. And actually, I can come out and be so much more than them, but also so much more because of them or in spite Despite of them. In spite of them.
1: Interesting. Without pushing it. way you include it it's incredible incredibly complex
2: absolutely yeah a really hard concept for me to get my head around to begin with um was it was something that I dragged around behind me for you know over a decade and understanding through therapy that for me I actually had to absorb this and go you know which is just like oh i don't want to i don't want anything to do with this and it's like no you you've got to absorb this and take your strength from the fact of it happened to me but it doesn't define me it is a part of something but it's not necessarily a part of who I am, it is just a scar that I carry.
1: Speaking of absorbing, and this is this is my key yeah. question, because you know, I work with dogs, I work with humans, and I do yoga with dogs and humans together. But actually it's human yoga and the dog is there. So I was wondering: your dog, do you think he knows what happened to you? Do you think animals absorb the abuse? Do you think they feel what happened?
2: I, I think that um, Coco and I have a very strong bond. Coco is a rescue, and I don't know what happened to her in her first year of life, um, but she used to be quite anxious and quite worried, and there are still flashes of it in there. She is a dog who needs me to be pack leader. Um, and she is okay. If I'm okay, if I'm not well, then she absolutely sticks to my side. But if I get upset, then she gets a little bit worried. Mm. Does she reflect you? Does that help you in a way to,
1: in a way to know where you are in your emotions or, or is that worrying for you? If you see the dog is worrying about you? how does that impact you
2: um it doesn't it's not worrying for me um it is definitely a reflection i think i am much more aware of my emotions um because of having a dog wow
1: how fabulous
2: yeah she's a good she's a good emotional barometer
1: i mean With Robbie, uh, I notice when I'm, obviously, when I'm crying, he'll come and lick my tears. I mean, he'll lick, he's at Maltese, by the way, he licks everything, he licks my nose, but he'll come and lick my whole tears. And the way they look at you, if you are in a distress, or if you are in an argument, say, uh, I have an argument with my mom or something like that, he, his chin is down, he looks, he's really looking up going, stop this, you know, this, this is not, this is not nice, but not in a punishing way. They just reflect innocence. I think innocence is the key, that an animal like a child, completely innocent. And you think, oh my God, we need to stop this. Look at Robbie. <laughs> you know, it's got to stop. Uh, I think, I think I. think you know, for myself suffering from uh, mental health problems, um, you know, with uh, j- severe anxiety disorder, kind of borderline personality, um, during the lockdown, Robbie let me know, let me know where I, where I was. He, he, you know, his little face, let me know, damn, I need to, I need to make a move. I need to get out of this house. I need to, I need to get on with things. You know, um, it it, they're incredible healers and little therapists. And I was wondering, just very important. This is such, yeah, they are. I was uh, thinking about uh, child abuse, you know, sexual abuse uh, with children. I was wondering, including an animal in, in therapy. Uh especially with children, teenagers, do you think that's a good thing? Pet therapy
2: yes, yes, I do actually yeah i I think I think uh I think animals are and and particularly dogs, I think are great at calming anxious children down. They are a great tool with which to talk through to a child, so you can talk about I wonder how you think the dog is feeling, I wonder how you know, the dog would feel if, if people weren't nice to it. And those sort of, if you could tell the dog anything, what would you like to tell the dog? And so they are incredibly calming, soothing, um, gentle energy to be around. Um, and I think they're enormously powerful in, in child and young people therapy. Um, absolutely. Uh, I think they just drive from love and they have so much to teach us in that way, which is, you know... Coco was probably not treated very well in the first year of her life. And yet she's come here and she trusts and she just leads with love, even though another human being has hurt her. She's come to me and said, but you're different. You're a different human being. So I I try you now, you know, and I just think that's incredible. There was so much for me to learn just in that incredible i was um
1: if i may mention i was working for kids company for many years as a in-house yoga teacher and i was working street level in peckham in at the shelter the famous shelter where all the kids would come from school, after school, and these kids were severely abused, emotionally abused, rape, everything, everything you can imagine was was there. And I was twice weekly doing yoga with them. And it was the biggest journey I have ever gone through in my life. Honestly, Lydia, I have never, ever had to hold it together in that way. If you would have given into the drama and the testing and the boundaries, I, you would have flipped. But I managed to get regular yoga classes with a group of kids and even one-to-ones in in the heartyard Center. And I always thought um, the children would de- disclose things in a calm environment, like yoga, when we would sort of once they build up that trust, and it's okay, it's safe, we're breathing, we're chanting, they would suddenly, like I would say, let's bring our palms together, let's, let's pray, let's chant for something, and then they would actually disclose everything to me in that prayer. More things were coming out than an actual therapist could have got out of, because it was yoga. It didn't have a definition. It didn't have, it wasn't, I'm going to, you know, it it was, for some reason, it, it was a natural relationship and it just opened up. But what I was trying to reach out to Camilla afterwards was to say, why don't we bring a dog into this class that may come from Battersea home, where we could tell their story and then they could ask questions to the dog about how he survived. Do you see what i mean and and I just I think there's such a room there's such a big space for exploring with animals
2: yeah, absolutely it's so non non confrontational, both the yoga and working with the dogs you know that's that's the beauty that's when children and and quite often actually adults disclose things, but particularly children you know it's it's why. Kids will often talk more about things that they're worried about, not not from an abuse point of view necessarily, just in life, when they're sat in the back of the car and mum and dad are in the front of the car because there's no eye contact. So it's, it's non-confrontational. It's so much easier to talk about difficult things when you aren't necessarily staring straight in the eyeball of, of a person that you're very emotionally connected to. Um, so that non-confrontational, that that ease. And as you say, the beauty of of rescue dogs is that we have the ability to tell their story to children who perhaps might have their own story to Absolutely. tell
1: back. and There's something about obviously sitting on a floor on a yoga mat, rolling around, having a laugh with dogs, and then stroking the dogs. And what I noticed at the end of my session, most people are on the floor, they can't move, and they're still petting their dog and everything, they just want to communicate and they want to stay on the ground and stuff comes up for people. And sometimes they tell me their stories. And I can't believe that a dog Clause has enabled this incredible bond and and communication uh, forum in a way post Oga. So sometimes my sessions go on until five hours later. People just don't come off the floor. They have it's just opened up something, and it's not therapy in in itself. So um, I guess um, which leads me to obviously Lydia um, maybe uh, wondering whether you might want to try a little bit of yoga with me today. Um, just as a little taster. Um, how do you feel about that?
2: Very really?
1: happy. Really? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm I'm Love really to. Love great. to. Great. And 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 have you done any yoga before Lydia yourself? Have you tried some do- I
2: have done some bits and pieces. Yeah, oh, bits and yeah. pieces. I'm not, uh, not, not too bad on the flexibility side of things. So yeah, I'm very happy. Looking forward to it. Let's give it a go.
0: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
2: we're here to tell you about the loose lips podcast we being me georgie porter and me sharon carpenter we're all about honesty and not holding back especially when it comes to what's in the news plus we answer your questions and we give you advice whenever it's asked for even when it's not asked for we're all about what you're really thinking and what you really want to know you can expect to hear some of this i have to say come on people we we're getting a little too sensitive here and also some of this she is plugging her entire career in that one moment that's the loose lips podcast out every tuesday and not forgetting extra lippy on fridays find it wherever you found this podcast
1: we'll see you there Okay, great. So we're going to start the music and all we're going to do now is just um, relax back into the chair. This is not a physical yoga. This is more visualization and breathing. So just follow my lead, Lydia, and just we're going to work on our breathing, placing one hand on the dog. And if your dog's not there, you can just imagine you're placing the hand on your dog. Keep your palm very soft and open, so your fingers are slightly spread out. And just place the hand wherever it goes and just allow it to settle on Coco's fur. Or if your dog's not there, just imagine your hand is settling on your dog's fur and try not to move the palm of your hand. And we have been talking about the heart today, so we are going to work into the heart chakra. And most importantly, with trauma, human trauma, we tend to find it very hard to breathe, mostly to inhale. So everything in the upper chest can feel a bit tight and restricted. So placing one hand on our sternum, just circle the heart center. And then maybe just open the mouth slightly wider and create the ocean breathing. I tell my children when I do my yoga classes, imagine you are the ocean and you create the sound of the waves. So feel free to join me, Lydia, with an open mouth, slow inhaling. Very nice. And maybe a big inhale again through the mouth. And exhale. Now engage the abdomen, inhale. And exhale. Very nice. And now maybe keep the palm flat on your chest and the other hand flat on cocoa and just relax your shoulders continue to inhale through open mouth and exhale and inhale and exhale and slowly inhale and exhale. And now imagine just releasing any tension on the exhale through the palm of your hand, which is sitting on cocoa. So any kind of tension that you're feeling, just release it through the other palm of your hand. So we're drawing in the breath, drawing it into the heart center, and now releasing through cocoa. And just let her, just let her absorb the exhalation. And then again inhale. And exhale. And as you let go, just allow your shoulders to drop a tiny bit more. Just allow your shoulders to sink a little bit more. Drawing the breath in one more time. And now. Now we're talking about opening up the truth uh, through the heart and the throat. And I think with speaking the truth in yoga, it's around the throat chakra that we speak the truth, or we start to communicate. And this can feel a little bit tight, this area. So what I want to do now is just sigh and make a vocal exhalation. So just a soft inhale, and then go, "Ah." Very nice. And again, inhale, Very nice now you can breathe through your nose, that's better, and open the mouth. Ah. Just let it resonate in the throat and in the chest. Very nice and inhale.
0: Ah.
1: As you feel the throat slowly vibrating, you can now place your whatever hand that is placed on your heart, place it on your left shoulder. If you can, you may have to change or swap. Take your right hand on your left shoulder and just breathe into that left shoulder and drop your shoulders and just breathe into that shoulder. Just feel that palm on that shoulder. And again,
0: inhale.
1: Exhale, and you can also pour the exhale into cocoa. And one more. Exhale. Exhale, and now we're gonna do a powerful affirmation and all it is is to say to yourself in your mind, in your heart, I am not guilty. Okay, so taking a deep breath, keep that palm there, inhale. And just think, exhale, I am not guilty. And then inhale. Maybe see it in front of you first and then exhale when you're ready. And then inhale. And exhale. And now we can say it together. inhale. I am not guilty.. Very nice. One more time. Inhale. I am not guilty.
2: I am not guilty.
1: One more. Inhale. I am not guilty. With the right palm, you're just going to place it on your forehead and now you're just going to press the forehead into the palm of your hand and deeply relax your forehead against the palm of your hand. It's almost like you're pressing and then just gently circle the forehead. And really breathe into your heart, breathe into cocoa, breathe into the palm of your hand. And now you can just circulate the palm a little bit more to stimulate this place. And just say, I forgive, I forgive. Inhaling. I forgive. I forgive. And again inhale. I forgive.
2: I forgive.
1: Keep pressing the palm really into the forehead. That's it. And again inhale. I forgive. I forgive. And then we're just opening one more part of the throat chakra and the neck. is just to cradle the head, uh, taking the hand behind your head in the nape of your neck and just take your head slightly back. And maybe now you want to bring both hands behind your neck and just cradle interlacing and just allow that head to fall back. And just feel that throat opening as far back for the truth. To the, for the truth to be heard just feel that throat really opening, maybe you can see I can feel like you're wearing beads I don't know why, are you wearing necklaces uh, Lydia are you wearing a necklace yeah.
2: I have a, a necklace, are you wearing two a necklaces gemstone? in
1: one. Oh, how beautiful, is there a gemstone there,
2: yes there
1: is oh god, I, I am psychic, so uh, what, um, what colour
2: uh, the necklace is silver. The gemstones are um, clear. so
1: Beautiful. So just uh, maybe a colour for that throat. Just give yourself a bit of a colour in that throat. And just feel that gemstone so- really sitting in your throat. Breathing in that healing colour. Softening the throat. It's like you're having a nice... Melting honey in your throat, or uh, a leucosate, you know, like, not Do you know what I mean, like a lockets. Cough, cough, a nice, your yeah, lockets or something, like just feeling a bit of fresh air in the throat, very nice, that's it. This is quite the, one of the most important points, I would say, this part, it's the throat, the Vishuddhi chakra, it's also about relationships and healing and it connects right to the heart and the third eye as well so it's really nice and i know we're not doing much with coco at the moment but she can still feel that and we're now just going to bring the palms into our heart center and just breathe through our nose gently inhaling Pressing the palms together, exhaling, just feeling that beautiful heart center, the peace through the spine, through the heart, through the throat, through the crown of your head, through the third eye. And again, if you want to maybe put one hand on Coco and one hand on your heart, and we're just going to close with our magic sound, Om, the universal sound of creation. Ah, oh, om. So for Coco and you, taking a deep inhale. Oh. And one more breath, and this is for courage.
0: Inhale.
1: And the last one is for your mission, Lydia, to spread your truth beyond space and time and to be in your mission at all times with your courage so you can expand and help other people taking a deep breath, inhale hell.
0: Oh.
1: Exhale. We're bringing the palms together to our third eye and just bow to our dogs or to ourselves, our inner wisdom and guru. Namapa, Lydia. Namaste. Namapa. Thank you very much for this doga.
2: Thank, Thank you, you, Arnie. That was gorgeous. Thank you.
1: Oh, I thought you were love it. I knew you were a dogini, a, a yogi dogi practitioner. I just got it straight away from the moment. Amazing.
2: How are you feeling? Uh, I am. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling centered. I'm feeling calm, but I'm also feeling energized. Just a beautiful moment of connection with my authenticity, with myself just in the middle of the afternoon and a nice bit of connection with Coco as well. It was lovely. Thank you.
1: Is there anything you would like to add towards this so we complete our interview today? Anything you want to say?
2: I guess the only thing that I would want to say is to anybody who has listened today, who has been affected in any way, whether that is personally or through friendships or family members, you know, that if you have ever experienced sexual violence or sexual abuse, that there is confidential support from specialists out there, you know, people who will listen to you and will believe you and understand how hard it is to talk about. So there is safeline.org.uk and also gov.uk forward slash sexual abuse support, and that's got a list of of lots of other different... um, places that you can get support for wherever you live or for whatever you need. So I just want any of your amazing listeners to know who may have been affected today that there is lots and lots of support and really specialised support out there for you, whether it's happened to you or a friend or a family member, you can all get support
1: Such amazing. And I'm thank you so much, Lydia. And don't forget the hashtag. It still matters. Use it. Use it. Use the hashtag. This is amazing. I wish you all the luck, all the success, all the healing that you need and that you can give to others.
2: Thank you, Marnie. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity today. I've really enjoyed being on your podcast. Um, I think what you're doing is fantastic as well. So thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. Namaste. Thanks for listening to
1: Conversations with My Dog. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It helps others to find us. And talking of spreading the news, please tell another person about the podcast and help us reach more people and dogs. We'll be back with another episode, same time, same place, next week. Namapaw. Even when we're on a budget, we still
3: deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus...